0: This is Molly Hemingway, encouraging you to listen to my favorite podcast, Issues, etc. Every day you get in-depth interviews with host Todd Wilkin asking expert guests substantive, thought-provoking questions on all of the important news and issues of our day. The expert guests are in culture, law, ethics, philosophy, theology, and apologetics. Expert guests, expansive topics, always extolling Christ issues, etc. Uh.
1: Donald, I know you're watching. You can't help yourself. You're not here tonight because you're afraid of being on this stage and defending your record. You keep doing that, no one up here is gonna call you Donald Trump anymore. We're gonna call you Donald Duck.
0: To try to say that pro-life protections are somehow a terrible thing, I want him to look into the eyes and tell people who've been fighting this fight for a long time. Joe Biden doesn't belong on a picket line, he belongs on the unemployment line. You see a young man who's in a bit of a hurry, maybe a little ambitious, bit of a know-it-all, it it seems at times. I can't
1: imagine how you could say that knowing that you were just in business with the Chinese Communist Party and the same people that funded Hunter Biden.
0: This is infuriating because TikTok (laughs) is one of the most dangerous social media apps that we could have. And what you've got, I honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say. Some of the voices from the second GOP presidential debate last night. Was it all sound and fury or was there substance to be had for those who sat through the debate? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in live on this Thursday afternoon, the 28th of September. Mark Hemingway joins us to talk about the second presidential debate for the Republican candidates. And we'll do part four of our series, Finding Jesus in the Old Testament, the Minor Prophets, with Dr. Reed Lessing. Mark Hemingway, Senior Writer for Real Clear Investigations. Mark, welcome back.
1: Glad to be back.
0: Did any of the participants particularly impress you last night?
1: Huh. I mean, that's a good question. I mean, it was not a great debate. I mean, it was messy. I mean, there were, like, minutes at a time where it seemed like everyone on stage and the moderators were, like, talking at once, and it wasn't great. The questions weren't great. It was hard to stand out in that debate. I will say that... In the first debate, there were tremendously high expectations for Vivek Ramaswamy. I don't think he quite met them. In this debate, I think he'd been through one already and was able to be a little bit more loose. And I think he gave several very well-composed answers. And in general, he just kind of stands out because a lot of the people on stage are running as sort of traditional Republicans, whereas Ramaswamy and, and DeSantis to some extent are, you know, recognizing that I think Republican voters have moved on into... They're accepting the political reality has changed in terms of where Republican voters are. They're more sort of aligned with Trump on a lot of you know, issues like trade and foreign policy. So I think Ramaswamy did a good job. I actually thought that, believe it or not, Doug Burgum, nothing terribly exciting about him, the governor of North Dakota, and everybody's still scratching their heads of why he's running at all. But I thought to the extent that he spoke, he actually made an impression in terms of being sort of a likable guy that was focused on America's problems, you know, aside from a lot of these other creatures of Washington on stage that were desperate for attention.
0: I'm curious, after the last or the first debate of these presidential hopefuls, Nikki Haley got, relatively speaking, the biggest bump in her numbers. How did she do last night?
1: I don't think she did very well at all last night, actually. You know, I mean, you played that that clip where, you know, she just sounded nasty toward Ramaswamy. She was like, I'm dumber for having listening to you. I mean, she, uh, you know, attacked him for going on TikTok when, in fact, within minutes of the debate, people were circulating photos of Nikki Haley's own daughter on TikTok. Obviously, I have mixed feelings about TikTok and you know, the Chinese influence on that website. But the fact of the matter is, it's probably you know, far and away the most influential social media website. And if you're going to try and reach young voters, you might have to have some presence on there. It's a debate you know, we should at least be having, unfortunately. So I don't know. I just thought these were like really shallow attacks. I mean, she just kind of went out there really aggressively to attack people. And I don't think she did a lot for herself. When I talk about people not sort of recognizing that we're in kind of a new moment, as you know, the, the Republican Party is in, in a new place in terms of how it's approaching a lot of policy issues relative to, say, when Mitt Romney was running for president in 2012. Nikki Haley is kind of the poster child for that. She's all in on Ukraine and and just you know seems to want to move us back to a, a much more backward looking version of the Republican Party than you know it's been since it's been post Trump.
0: What major issues were raised by the moderators for discussion?
1: I mean, there were a lot of sort of basic questions. I I mean, nothing really like, you know, great stood out in terms of good questions that were asked. In fact, I was kind of, you know, I think mainly there was a lot of complaints online and I think deservedly that the people on stage were asked a lot of questions that were sort of premised in this notion that, premised in sort of left-wing assumptions that permeate the corporate media. And people were very kind of upset by that. I mean, in particular, there was this question that the Univision host who was there, which that in and of itself was a whole issue because, you know, the joke in, in Republican circles is that Univision or whatever the Spanish language channel is, is, just, is Spanish for MSNBC, She asked this question to Ron DeSantis about how the uh, curriculum in his state characterized slavery. And it was just like this really loaded question. And not only that, it was kind of a controversial topic and there's been a lot of back and forth on it showing that a lot of the questions surrounding that particular issue were disingenuous to begin with. And I was sort of amazed that it was it was allowed to arise that way. And I thought DeSantis did a good job of parrying it. And, and, and actually, Tim Scott actually, I don't know, he's kind of hit DeSantis a little bit of his question because he just doesn't think the issue should be broached at all. But it led to the best moment in the debate, I thought, was you know Tim Scott talking about how America's legacy for all of our problems with racism or whatever, you know, we're in a good place and we need to talk about the progress that we've made and the opportunities it's created for someone like him. And it was just a really great moment for the debate and it was all basically smacking down the entire premise of a ridiculous question.
0: How did DeSantis do? You know, it's
1: funny, I saw some polling today that showed that DeSantis left the most favorable impression among voters of anyone on the debate stage. Which was interesting to me because I, I, I didn't think he did that great watching it, but it made some sense in retrospect because what happened was it was kind of a free for all because there's a lot of people on the stage and everybody's trying to take everybody else down a, a peg. But for whatever reason, I think partly because DeSantis' campaign has been floundering a bit, they didn't feel as much a need to like knock him down a peg as they did during the first debate with the other candidates on stage. So there was a lot of angst going after Ramaswamy and Desantis is like i said he's still one of the guys on stage that's in a different mold in terms of his approach to a lot of these issues and so he was simultaneously able to differentiate himself and like stay above a lot of the argumentative fray and you know on top of that i think people just like that you can tell that he has a presence on stage it's an actual governing record that he's proud of so i think he did pretty well is it enough to in any way change the needle here i mean you know we need to keep coming back to this sort of political reality here that Trump is still 40 or 50 points ahead in the polls and like nothing about this debate seems like it's going to to change that. I mean I think it's a useful exercise for people to watch these debates and and to go through the motions, but DeSantis doing well or anyone doing well in these debates, there's no indication to think it's really, you know, going to shake things up.
0: Let's talk about that that general context here and that is that we have a presumptive frontrunner and yes the polling is almost uniformly Showing that Donald Trump has a huge lead over all these contenders, he's not there. They're holding primary debates, fully aware that they're all trailing him and trying to somehow catch him. Have we seen this before? <laughs> I can't think of any
1: sort of analog for what this is like in in the last several decades. It's a really strange thing. I mean, it's really just a testament to how outside the establishment that Trump stands, and as far as Republican voters are concerned, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Now, having said that, I mean, I saw some interesting data, which is, you know, someone you know, getting polling on the debate and it's something like 32% of Republicans reported having seen some part of the debate. Whereas I think 13% reported having seen any of Trump's long speech that he gave in front of a crowd of UAW workers just ahead of the debate. And it was kind of his way of counter-programming things now. It's in part because it was kind of hard to watch the Trump speech because it was like streaming online somewhere. And obviously the networks aren't giving Trump the attention that they once did. And, you know, even Fox News, you know, who's hosting this debate, you know, is a bit chuffed, I think, to some extent that Trump isn't participating. So they're not giving him a tremendous amount of attention. But it is a really interesting dynamic, for sure.
0: For those who are still holding kind of the single digit, I don't know what the threshold for this debate was, but some of these candidates are really way behind chris christie mike pence how did you evaluate their performance
1: yeah like i said you know nobody there is going to be you know rocketing out of this debate on voters radar christian Pence, in particular are both interesting in, in a couple of respects one is that pence for being such a high profile guy he's really gone headlong after trump and really gone out of his way to distinguish himself from his time as vice president post January 6th. I mean, I think he kind of succumbed to a lot of institutional pressure following that event and whether that was a matter of integrity or not, you might salute Pence for that and then I would I would understand that, but as a practical political reality, Pence distancing himself from being Trump's vice president I don't think has helped him out at all. Further, it's really strange because like I said, The candidates that are doing the best among the Trump contenders are Ramaswamy and DeSantis because they, to some extent, have at least acknowledged this new reality that the Republican Party is very much not content with the Republican status quo before Trump. And there are certain specific issues like foreign policy and trade and other things where they want the Republican establishment to get with the program. And I don't think Pence has in any way embraced that kind of America first platform that voters want to hear about. Ramaswamy is interesting because he's quite conscious about this. You know, he says, look, I you know, believe in this America First agenda identified by Trump. I just don't think it belongs solely to Trump. I just haven't quite figured out what Pence's reason for running is, other than he's just a high profile guy who has high name ID. He's not saying anything like new or novel uh, about things. Historically, he's been a very good debater. And I haven't even necessarily seen that come through. I mean, a lot of what he said or you know, there, there was various, like, canned lines and stuff that he was, you know, clearly, like, you know, waiting to unfurl. And I think they just kind of fell flat further. I mean, I'm not to just bag on Pence as m- much, but early on in the debate, I don't know, something with his makeup or whatever. I mean, he just looked very sort of, like, pallid and, I don't know, very, I don't know, I don't know like, prominent skull popping out of his, his, you know, his taut face or something. It was what it, was, it just, I think they fixed things out with lighting and stuff after the debate, but it, it didn't help him. As for Christie, he's a really talented politician and he's, you know, charismatic and he's good on his feet and he comes off, you know, really well in in an extemporaneous situation like a debate. He's far better at that sort of thing than than most politicians. However, it seems like his only reason for being is to attack Trump. Like whoever's funding his campaign, he's just on this kamikaze mission against Trump. I mean, you played that line about changing his name from Donald Trump to Donald Duck. It's clearly like Christie just seems up there to get under Trump's skin, not to make an affirmative case for Chris Christie. And so in that respect, Chris Christie's you know campaign is really kind of quixotic. I mean, I like seeing him on stage. He's got the good things to say. You know, He's an experienced guy. He's a former governor. He's you know, got good political instincts. But as long as his campaign seems primarily about attacking Trump, what's the point?
0: Who emerges from this debate as Trump's target, his political strategy seems to be to pick a fight with the second biggest kid on the playground and anyone who could possibly challenge him
1: obviously he has gone after desantis and he even slipped in a line jabbing desantis in a speech the uaw workers just ahead of the debate i mean i think to the extent that he's attacked desantis one is because i think he sees it as slightly personal because you know he's living in florida now and also simply that DeSantis has been the only guy that seemed like he could possibly be a contender in terms of being able to raise the money and put together an organization to challenge him. But, you know, even that isn't sort of working well. There was also a line in Trump's speech last night where he said something to the effect of, I mean, looking at the stage, it seems like, you know, there might be some good cabinet secretaries, you know, uh, on that stage. Are there any vice presidents even? Eh, I'm not so sure about that. You know, he this was very sort of Trumpian dig at the people challenging him on the debate stage. But it also kind of reflects the political reality. I mean, even the top two people in the polls challenging Trump, Ramaswamy and DeSantis, are so far below him in the polls that like, you know, it's it's almost not even worth picking on DeSantis at this point in time until DeSantis can find a way to break through and, and rise up in the polls more than has. I mean, I want to bag into DeSantis too much because he's put a a lot of energy and effort into campaigning in the early primary states. And it's still entirely possible that DeSantis will have some remarkable showing in Iowa or New Hampshire or whatever. And now all of a sudden will totally change the the game. But until then, I just don't see these debates or anything else necessarily happening that will change the political dynamic short of Trump dropping out of the race altogether or something happening to him.
0: How much of a misstep was it for Donald Trump to, in the process of kind of attacking Ron DeSantis over an a gestational limits bill that he signed into law, an abortion law? How big of a mistake was it for him to call it a terrible idea, a mistake?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, there are definitely people in D.C., you know, conservative activists that have backed Trump to the hilt and, and pro-life groups. Even one of the critical things for Trump you know, early on was, you know, Susan B. Anthony List, uh, you know, great pro-life group led by Marjorie Dannenfelser, supporting Trump because they believed that he was the vehicle that was best for sort of accomplishing their goals, even if they didn't like a lot of things about, you know, Trump and his personal morality. So the idea that Trump is now saying things to kind of betray that uh, is definitely put a lot of people on edge, you know, people already, look, I can tell you, you know, there's certainly among, you know, institutional Washington even among people that are inclined to be friendly to Trump and, you know, honor his accomplishments, there's a lot of baggage there and a lot of hurt feelings over various you know, missteps that Trump made as president. And so the prospect of a guy like Ron DeSantis, you know, who could you know push Trump agendas forward without, you know, a lot of the baggage, you know, is already appealing to a lot of those people. And so for Trump to like thumb his nose at, you know, a courageous governor that did the right thing on pro-life stuff for nakedly political reasons, I mean, he didn't have to say that. Quite that way. I mean, there's a lot of people in the pro life movement that are resolutely pro life that believe me wish that all abortions could stop tomorrow if they could snap their fingers. But they also recognize the value of an incremental legislative approach to dealing with implementing pro life laws simply because the Dobbs decision was as abrupt as legal abortion was imposed 50 years ago. And when big sea changes like that happen, you need time to actually persuade people and, and get into the cultural fights. And, you know get people to see things your way simply passing legislation isn't gonna solve your problems and if it creates a political backlash which you know certainly it does seem like there's been a political backlash in certain states and areas of the country then you know if it throws you out of power then you can end up in a worse situation in places in terms of uh, the status of legal abortion so trump recognizing the political danger of that isn't necessarily a problem he just didn't have to be so blunt and thoughtless about how I think people would perceive that. I mean, obviously we know Trump himself is not like a hardcore social conservative. I mean, I think he think believes on some level that the abortion regime in this country has, you know, completely is, is, is barbaric on, on lots of levels, but he's also a guy that's trying to win an election and he just you know, got a little too focused on the winning of the election and, and not as focused as he should have been on and doing the right thing, but you know that's Trump. I mean, it's also true that if Trump hadn't gotten three three Supreme Court justices on on the court in short order and really shown a lot of spine and courage to do that, Roe would have never been overturned in the first place. So, very much a sort of on one hand, on the other hand, in terms of assessing Trump's statement here.
0: Ordinarily, a candidate would wait until they secured the party's nomination to name a running mate. What do you think about two of these candidates sitting on that dais last night forming a ticket now to run against Trump?
1: Huh. I guess it's an interesting idea. We're we're at a point where Trump is so far ahead in the polls that basically people are going to have to just throw things against the wall and hope something sticks. I mean, I don't see any sort of an inherent logic to that. But, you know, again, on the other hand, anything that would change the dynamics of the race in terms of you know what people are doing and how people are talking about it, you know, might be, you know, worth pursuing. But again, I think it's also true that I think doing something crazy like that could also instantly be read as a desperation move. So (laughs) Trump is 40 or 50 points ahead in the polls. He's been that way for months. There was a brief blip where DeSantis was polling at like 30% or whatever, but it's just been all downhill from there. And DeSantis just frankly hasn't run a very good campaign. And so here we are.
0: Mark Hemingway is Senior Writer for Real Clear Investigations. You'll find a link to his columns at issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Mark, thank you. Thank you. When we come back, it's part four of our series Finding Jesus in the Old Testament. We'll be talking about the Minor Prophets and doing some summary of the Messianic Message in the Old Testament with Dr. Reed Lessing, co-author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, The Messianic Message. You can listen to our new audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. It's voiced by the book's author, Pastor Todd Peppercorn, and includes an introduction voiced by Pastor Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Just go to issuesetc.org, enter your email address, and we'll send you a link to the audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression, issuesetc.org, and enter your email address. Lutheranism in the public square. You're listening to
1: Issues Etc. America's tradition of liberty depends on having colleges
0: and universities that equip young people for the responsibilities of freedom. At Concordia University Chicago, freedom is a pillar of our education. We prepare our students to live as free, self-governing citizens. I'm Dr. Rachel Ferguson, Director of the Free Enterprise Center at Concordia Chicago. I invite you to visit us. Discover what it means for freedom to become a pillar of your future. Learn
1: more at cuchicago.edu. Register today. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through the 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky. The conference includes visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Online registration is open now with early bird pricing at lutheransforlife.org conference. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life, lutheransforlife.org.